You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Tommy and Eddie here to talk to you about something really great, Palm Sunday. Yeah, that's the Sunday that we paint our palms purple to commemorate King Saul talking to that palm reader lady, and then we wave him in the air. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's yes, not. Yes, it no. is. What Bible do you read? Palm Sunday commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now picture this. Jesus rode in on a donkey while the crowds put their cloaks and palm branches all over the ground, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. That's what I said. That's what I meant. Okay, now picture this. Jesus' popularity was going viral. I mean, he just raised Lazarus from the dead in the same community just a few days earlier. Wait, post-dead Lazarus was maybe at the very first Palm Sunday? Yeah, probably. That's so cool. I bet if he was there, he was probably like, And you're a thriller, thriller, Jesus. You raised me from the dead when you said, Get up, get up, get up. Now, to complete all of this, Jesus needed a donkey. Now, you'd think that a king or a prince would ride in on a horse, but not Jesus. He knew the message that he wanted to send. You see, a donkey represents peace. Anybody riding a donkey represented peaceful intentions. Yeah, it says right here in Matthew 21, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples to get him a donkey. Yeah. Hey, I wonder which two he sent. Mm, maybe Thomas. I doubt it. I bet he sent Andrew. Andrew would totally do that. And probably... Tony. I bet he said Andrew and Tony. Tony's not a disciple. Oh, sorry. Tony is. Still not a disciple. What translation of the Bible do you read? Jesus needed a donkey, so he asked two disciples to go get him a donkey. He told them they would find one in town, tied there next to a colt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, untie them and bring them to me. And if somebody asks you about it, you tell them the Lord needs them? Jeez. Yeah. What? Well, Jesus told his disciples to go steal a donkey for him. What Bible do you read? It doesn't say that at all. I can't figure this out. I mean, Jesus, he changed water into wine. Cool. He fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000. What? He fed the 5,000. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Not the fourth. It's the 5,000. We're splitting hairs. I'm sorry. Jesus fed a large group of people. And that's cool. He he healed people with leprosy. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And then boom, he's like, hey, guys, go steal me a donkey. I'm just saying, I don't think that's very WWJD. The significance of Jesus riding on a donkey, which he did not steal, was to fulfill the prophecy that is found in Zechariah 9.9. Yeah, but... The- and the king riding in on a lowly donkey with his way paved with palm branches. The palm branches symbolize triumph or victory. The what? The palm branches. The branch, palm thought, branches, Palm Sunday. I thought it was the palm. They should call it Branch Sunday because that's confusing. We all have palms with us all the time. I just, I feel bad. I, I'm sorry, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a time for us to prepare our hearts for the agony of His passion and the joy of His resurrection. So this week. Let's cover the road to the cross with our hearts, our souls, and our minds as we reflect on the final week of Jesus' life. And let's celebrate in anticipation the return of the King of Kings.
It is Palm Sunday, and when you come to uh, Palm Sunday, I think that sometimes we have a problem with the familiarity of the story that we've heard this, if we've been in church all of our lives, every Easter season, and to come and make it fresh and make it practical. And well, Have you walk out of here and say, hey, I did something today, I recommitted my life to Christ, or I'm, you know, something besides just sharing the facts of the story. Now, it's interesting in their video, and I think they probably did this on purpose to get you to think about it, Jesus actually did feed 4,000 and 5,000, and some people think that, oh, well, you know, it must be a mistranslation, it's 4,000, 5,000, but Jesus actually said he fed 4,000 and 5,000. Matthew 16, 9 through 10, using the New Living Translation today, he says, don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? So it's just interesting that they let that in the video. And I think it's to get you to think about it. So anyway, Jesus commented on that, and that's good. So we're going to look at the Palm Sunday passage in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is going to um, ride into town during Passover. There's millions, maybe millions, thousands, multiple, probably there's a lot of people, a large multitude there, and he is going to, like the video said, fulfill the prophecy and ride in on a colt as a uh, sign that he is a king coming in peace. So a mighty warrior king would come in on a war horse, but to come in on the colt of a donkey is showing that you're not there to wage war, you're there to bring peace. And people understood this. They were expecting the Messiah. They understood what was going on. They had heard of Jesus and were looking forward to his teaching and thought that maybe he was the miracle man that was coming to rescue them from the Roman oppression. So they weren't able to live in peace and do their own things because the Romans were there in their life causing them all sorts of trouble, taxing them. And they wanted a mighty king warrior to come in, overthrow the Roman government, make them number one for many reasons. One, for their prosperity, for a better life, for the opportunity to do more because it would make them more comfortable. Everything about it was about them. And you know this story that, you know, so Jesus rides in, In the beginning of the week and by the end of the week, some of the same people, I would guess, are shouting crucify him because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. And I think that sometimes people are quick to just forget about following the Lord when their expectations aren't met. When their expectations aren't met, when they don't get the job they wanted or they didn't get the bill paid or they didn't get cured of their sickness or their loved one died or all the difficulties in life that can happen sometimes cause people to say, well, if I'm not going to get that, then I'm not going to follow Jesus. But we should follow Jesus because he's our coming king. And we will see that uh, as life goes on, that some of the hard things we go through uh, wasn't necessarily our choice. We were more of victims and circumstances. But the Lord is working out his plan, and his plan isn't often just about us and our comfort. So in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the town of Bethphage. It's funny how many different ways you can say this. So I've heard Bethphage. Anyway, we won't get caught up on that. We'll go with Bethphage. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. 
Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. The other Gospels don't actually uh, make that clear that its mother is there. So here you have this young colt that's going to be ridden for the first time, and it would probably go crazy. But its mom is there, so it's probably going to be more peaceful. Um, But Jesus had this worked out. So uh, was he in his foreknowledge? Did he know that was there? Did he work it out in advance? Was he familiar with what was going on? And so he prearranged it. It doesn't really matter. But Jesus uh, sent two disciples out to get the donkey and the colt and his mom. Think about that. Would you be willing to do a task like that for Jesus? Some of us just want to do big things. You know, we want to proclaim Jesus and do stuff and do stuff. And many years ago, um, you know, our church has been meeting in the school for a long time. We had uh, someone come and visit, and they had been here for a little bit. And uh, the lady said, we just, I'd just like to take over the coffee ministry and uh, the food and the hospitality stuff. And I'd just like to take that over and, and so you don't have to worry about it. I'm like, that's perfect. Are you going to take the coffee places, the coffee pots? Are you going to take them home? Sh- oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to find people to do it. I'm just going to oversee it and make it happen. I'm like, okay. It didn't work out very well. It would have helped a lot more if she would have just like stepped up to the plate and done the work and then found some people to come alongside and help. And I think in our Christian life, we're like that a lot too. We want to do the big things, but we don't always want to do the little things, you know. Love to speak in church, don't want to help set away, put away chairs, stuff like that. But so two disciples, who knows which disciples, uh, were uh, asked by Jesus to go get these so that he could, Jesus could do what was required, what was needed, what was prophesied, what was foretold. Uh, one of the few times that Jesus actually got recognition for being the king he is, treated the way he should be treated. So as soon as you enter, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me, Jesus said. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. And this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And as mentioned in the video, that's in Zechariah 9.9, at least part of it is. So that was prophesied at least 500 years before it happened, foretold. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So there are many miraculous prophecies in the Old Testament that you can look at and go, that's amazing. There's absolutely no way that could happen unless it was a God thing. And this isn't one of them. It would have been easy for Jesus or anyone else to look back at that prophecy and say, hey, we're riding in a town. We need a donkey and we need a colt because that's what they're expecting, that's what we're expecting, that's what the Messiah is going to do. But it did happen, and God fulfills his word. So when things are prophesied in the past, they're going to happen. God is true, God is reliable, and when God speaks uh, and tells things are going to happen in the future through his prophets, it's going to happen. So, and it did happen, just as it was foretold. So, was it an amazing miracle that could have never... No, but... It happened, and it's consistent with Jesus fulfilling prophecy as he's supposed to. Um, Many other Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, there's no way you could um, even make that happen if you tried. Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. He's doing what needs to happen, and he's coming into town. So the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. You know, that would be a great great thing to maybe even have it on your tombstone. So he or 
she or she did as Jesus commanded. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a good way to live your life? What'd you do with your life? I did what Jesus commanded. Awesome. What a, well done, good and faithful servant. I think a lot of people are out there, and they know what Jesus is commanding, and they're hoping Jesus turns the blind eye and says, oh, we're under grace, right? Not under works. I, I, I like to do this because it's fun. But actually, a lot of the sin that we get into God says no because he knows it will hurt us. Eventually we'll feel guilty, we'll feel sad, we'll destroy our lives. And so God puts fences with rules in our lives so that we will do the right thing. But these disciples were obedient. They did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. So now they're taking care of him. They're like, well, we don't have any you know, blanket or anything to throw over it. So uh, uh, other Bible translations say cloak. Uh, we don't wear cloaks anymore. But basically, they didn't like, I mean, the disciples didn't have a lot of money. They were, didn't, they were traveling with Jesus, and they uh, you know, didn't have a lot of resources. So basically, as far as I can tell, they basically like, took the shirt off their back and threw it on uh, this colt for Jesus to ride on. And other people were uh, putting stuff down in the road. Well, let's get back to this. Uh, they said, uh, threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road because that's what they did to recognize the triumphant king. That's what was the cultural thing. You know, when I think about garments and putting your garments down for Jesus, I don't think that, you know, we can actually take our garments and, you know, put them in a road for Jesus per se, but we surely can give clothes to people in need and help people in need with the clothes we have. I think Jesus recognizes that too, especially when it's clothes that we like. When we give people stuff, like a coat or things that they need, that they like, when you find someone that's the right size and you give them stuff that is what they like and what they need. Unfortunately, I think that some people are like, hey, if I get rid of these old clothes and give them to this person, then I'll have a need to get myself some new clothes. And I don't know if God honors that as much. But to put God first in everything, to put Jesus first in everything, and be willing to sacrifice and to um, throw down your garment, to share what is needed, to do what you can to honor Jesus is a great thing. So cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Hosanna. We praise the Lord. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And they're like, who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus was riding in this procession. People were praising him, and that's actually the way it's supposed to be. And think about yourself in that picture now. What would you do? Would you be skeptical? Would you go, is that really Jesus? I, should, I, should I throw stuff down for him? Should I... Should I honor him? Is he truly king? Do I truly believe he's king? Do I truly, am I excited or am I skeptical? Am I afraid of what the Romans are going to think? I mean, they could see me doing this and I could get in trouble. Uh, would you give praise to Jesus? I think you would. But, you know, sometimes we don't want to do that in public. So we'd be like, okay, here comes Jesus down the road and everybody's, you know, praising him and throwing stuff down and, you know, yay, we're part of the crowd. And it's easy, actually, to be part of a crowd mentality. A crowd can lead you in a good way or a bad way. So during the, the school walkouts over uh, the gun protests or, or whatever, I was recalling to a pastor friend of mine in Colorado that when I went to school in Colorado in junior high and senior high, we walked out. I said, I have no idea why. I can't remember. I just followed him out the door. 
So, like a sheep, just, I don't know what we're protesting, but I guess we're getting out of school. And so, you can follow people to do the wrong things, and you can follow people to do the right things. It's easy when you're in a crowd to worship Jesus. It's easy when you're in a crowd to put your hands in the air and worship the Lord. It's easy when you are around other Christians to talk about Jesus, but it's a lot harder when you're at school or at work or in the neighborhood and you feel like you're the only one. And so you want to bring glory to the Lord by sharing what he's doing in your life. You want to tell people about how they can have a relationship with Christ, but you're afraid of what they're going to think. You're afraid you might say the wrong thing or not have the answer to their question. So, so you don't. You sit on your hands and nothing happens. Uh, no praise is given to the Lord. No message of the gospel is shared because you're afraid. And we need to be like these people on this day and praising the Lord because He is the Lord, praising the Lord because Jesus sees and knows and will even reward us. So, and as we do that, maybe people will say, who is this Jesus? In which we'll have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus being, uh, being God, being our Savior, rising from the dead. Easter time isn't about the bunny. It is about Jesus' resurrection. And we've got New Testaments back there that have information in the front and the back about who is Jesus and how you can live the Christian life, how you can be saved. It's a great resource. It's a great tool, actually, to lead someone to Christ and then disciple them, help them to grow in their faith. But as you're praising Jesus, as you're excited about Jesus, people may come up to you and say, who is this Jesus? Tell me about this Jesus. They said, the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus replied in Matthew 26, 64, said about the coming king, about Jesus being a coming king because here Jesus has come and he is riding in and he knows he's going to be crucified. If you read through Matthew, you will see that Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. Jesus knew what the time frame was. He was laying down his life and he knew exactly what would happen. He even told his disciples exactly what was going to happen, though they didn't understand until afterwards. But Jesus is our coming king. He is going to come back. He is going to reward us for serving him. He is going to take all of the saved people to be with him for eternity. Matthew 26, 64, a little further ahead. Jesus replied, you've said it, and in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus is coming back, and we are excited about Jesus, our coming king, coming back. I mentioned this was it last week or the week before about Jesus returning, that when Jesus ascended into heaven after he was resurrected in the beginning of the book of Acts, when he ascended into heaven, the angel said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So Jesus knew that he was going to return. We've been told that he's going to return. I can't imagine what it will be like when he returns, but I surely want to tell other people. Uh, I don't understand everything about the Bible or the future, but I've made a commitment to understand that I believe in the Bible. So I don't I can't give you an exact picture of how everything in our eternal future works out. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't do that either. But we trust Jesus. I see that the Lord is working in my life. I see answered prayer. I see things that He is doing that proves that He is God, that He is alive in my life. And I trust Him, and I know that He is going to return. Hebrews 9.28 says, So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. So that's why he was coming to Jerusalem. He was going to be crucified for our sins. 
It was foretold in the Old Testament. God sent Jesus. Jesus lived among us, taught us how to live, and then died for our sin and rose again. So Hebrews 9.28, So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people, and he will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So I know that if it's a peaceful time in our life and we have everything we need and we're comfortable, we're less likely to be excited about Jesus' return. But if there is persecution or we've come to the point in our life where we're just disillusioned and sad with it, uh, Jesus' returning is a lot more appealing, especially when you know that you'll spend eternity with Jesus living much better than you're living now. So don't get comfortable. Don't waste away your days. Don't think that someone else can share Christ with that person. No, you need to share Christ with that person. You know that whole well thing, worship, encouraging, learning, and loving? Uh, Part of worshiping the Lord is you spending time with Him in His Word uh, and being able to proclaim Him, to praise Him, and to promote Him. And the E could be encouraging or evangelizing, which is sharing your faith. So do that. Help people be ready for Jesus to return or to die. People can die suddenly too. So Jesus can return at any time. Hebrews 9.28, so... Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting Him. Be eagerly awaiting Him. In Isaiah 66, verse 15, it says, See, the Lord is coming with fire, and His swift chariots roar like a whirlwind. He will bring punishment with the fury of His anger and the flaming fire of His hot rebuke. The Lord will punish the world by fire and by His sword. He will judge the earth, and many will be killed by Him. So that's a prophecy of Jesus returning in the future. And we see that in Revelation 19.11 at the back of the Bible towards the end. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. So Jesus is returning, our coming king. So would you commit to serve your coming king? Because he is a perfect king. So uh, we're part of this group called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And um, it was founded many years ago in the 1800s by this guy, Alfred Benjamin Simpson, by A.B. Simpson. And we are not Simpsonites, so we don't follow every single thing that A.B. Simpson ever wrote. Uh, we don't, you know, he started a movement, though we don't, we, look, we follow the Bible. And he wrote a, good, a lot of good things. He wrote a lot of books. But, so he is well known uh, for being the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance and the founder of the Assemblies of God. There was a split, actually, in the group over. Some said you should speak in tongues, and some said you might speak in tongues. Obviously, we're on the side that says you might speak in tongues, but uh, don't forbid it, don't promote it kind of thing, um, where the other group uh, pursues speaking in tongues. And he is a uh, founder of other groups, too, like, I guess, the Missionary Church and things like that. So uh, did great things. You can learn about his history. But at age 17... So, how many of you had your spiritual life together when you were age 17? I graduated from high school when I was 16. I went to Bible college when I was 17, and I'm trying to get it together, but I wasn't very mature. I wasn't mature enough to uh, write what he wrote as a commitment to God, which is found in the center of your notes. So, this was his solemn, solemn covenant, the dedication of myself to God. And he wrote this when he was 17 years and one month old. So I was fact-checking and making sure that he was truly 17 when this was written, and and this is what he writes. What if this were your covenant? What if this were how you came to Jesus, our King and our coming King, 
and said, this is how I will serve you. This is how I will live for you because I value you. I know that not everything in my life is perfect, but I want to serve you. Actually, A.B. Simpson said that. Let me read this, and maybe this will become valuable to you in the future. My solemn covenant, the dedication of myself to God, everlasting and almighty God, ruler of the universe, you made this world and you made me. You are in every place beholding the evil and the good. You see me and know all my thoughts. My innermost thoughts are all familiar to you. You know my motives for coming to you. I appeal to you, searcher of hearts. So far as I know my heart, it is not a worldly motive that brings me before you now. But my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17.9. And I would not pretend to trust it. You know I have a desire to dedicate myself to you forever. I come before you as a sinner, lost and ruined by the fall and by my transgressions. Yes, I am the worst of all your creatures. When I look back on my life, I am filled with shame and confusion. I am ignorant and rude like an animal in your sight. Lord, you made Adam holy and happy. You gave him the ability to maintain the state. The penalty of disobedience with death was death. He disobeyed your holy law and incurred the penalty. I am his descendant, and I have inherited his depravity, this depravity and this penalty. Your sentence is just. Lord, I bow in submission before you. Lord, I am an evil person. How can you stoop to look on me? It is an endless deference to even notice me. But truly, your loving kindness is boundless and eternal. Lord, you sent your Son in our image with a body such as mine and a wise soul. All the perfections of the Godhead abide in him. So does the modesty of our sinful nature. He is the mediator of the new covenant, and through him we all have access to you by the same Spirit. Through Jesus, the only mediator, I come to you. Lord, by trusting in his mediation, I boldly approach your throne of grace. Lord, I feel my own insignificance, but you strengthen me by your Spirit. I am approaching you to covenant with you for eternal life. In your word, you told us that it is your will for all who believe in your Son to have eternal life. And you will raise him up on the last day. You gave us a new covenant and sealed it in Jesus' blood on the cross. Now I declare before you and before my conscience and everything you have created that I accept the condition of this covenant and close with its terms. I believe on Jesus and accept salvation through him, my prophet, priest, and king, as made to me by God wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. Lord, you made me willing to come to you by your love. You subdued my rebellious heart. So now take it and use it for your glory. Whenever rebellious thoughts develop in my heart, overcome them and bring everything that opposes you into subjection to your authority. I yield myself to you as one alive from the dead forever. Take and use me for your glory. Ratify now in heaven, O my Father, this covenant. Remember it, O Lord, when you bring me to the Jordan, Lord. Remember me when you come with all the angels and saints to judge the world. May I be at your right hand and in heaven with you forever. In heaven, write down that I have become yours, yours only and yours forever. Lord, remember me in the hour of temptation. Never let me depart from this covenant, Lord. I sense my own weakness, and so I am not making this on my own strength. If I did, I would fail. But in your strength, O captain of salvation, I shall be strong and more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me. Lord, I have made this covenant with you according to your word. I did not make it for worldly honors or fame, but for eternal life. I know you are true and will never break your word. Give to me all the blessings of the new covenant, especially the Holy Spirit in great abundance. The Spirit is the pledge of my inheritance until the day of redemption. May a double portion of your Spirit rest upon me 
then I shall proclaim your ways and laws to transgressors and to your people. Sanctify me completely and make me fit for heaven. Give me all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Now I am a soldier of the cross and follower of the Lamb. From now on, my motto is, I have one King, even Jesus. Support and strengthen me, O my Captain, and be mine forever. Lord, place me in the circumstances you want. If it is in accordance with your will, I request that you give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food I need, lest I am poor and steal, or lest I become rich and say, Who is the Lord? Let your will be done. Now give me your spirit and protect my heart all the time. Then I will drink of the rivers of salvation, lie down by still waters, and be infinitely happy in the favor of my God. Saturday, January 19th, 1861, A.B. Simpson, 17 years old. So you can actually get this in the book Relentless Spirituality, Embracing the Spiritual Disciplines of A.B. Simpson. And I saw you can download it on Google Play for $3.50. But actually this has been updated, so it doesn't have, he wrote thousand and these because it was the 1800s. And so it's been more updated. But what if that was your prayer? What if that was your commitment before the Lord today? What if when we went to communion today, you told the Lord that you want some of that? And you were willing to live your life in such a way. So we see that this man, who at 17 years old dedicated his life to the Lord, was able to start a missionary movement, was able to help start Bible colleges. I think A.B. Simpson is given credit for the beginning of the Bible college movement, and D.L. Moody is given credit for starting the Sunday school movement, if I remember right. But what if that was your prayer? What if that was a covenant you made before the Lord? That would truly be following the coming king. I'm going to ask uh, the guys or people to come forward to help us with communion, to have communion. And you're welcome to take communion with us if you're a believer in Christ, if you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I did it by asking the Lord. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's by committing to Christ. But I prayed, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and to come into my life and save me and make me the person you created me to be. And he did. And maybe that's your prayer for today. Again, you don't get saved by saying the sinner's prayer. You get saved by being a sinner that comes to Jesus. But one of the best ways to do that is by talking to the Lord in prayer. So in communion, if you were to, forward, to page forward to Matthew chapter 26, um, Christ's body was broken for you. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it. This is my body. And for 2,000 years now, we have remembered what Christ has done through the Lord's Supper, an ordinance that he instituted that we do regularly as a church. And we, as a church, along with churches around the world, do this to remember Christ. So as the music plays, maybe you just want to pray uh, in your seat to the Lord and maybe recommit your life to him. Maybe confess any sin the Holy Spirit brings to mind. And if you are confused about what it is to follow Christ or to be saved or whatever, I'd love for you to come contact me or connect with me after the service, and I'd love to help you with that. But for those of you that we take communion all the time, uh, use this opportunity to recommit your life to Christ. Jesus, we thank you so much that you were willing to, that you were willing to endure the cross for our salvation, that, that you came and knowingly um, sacrificed yourself for us, and that you're coming back, and you have a great plan for our life. Lord, I I hate to think it, but maybe we would have been some of those people that praised you on the way into town and then later in the week shouted, crucify you. Lord, help us not to ever be like that. Help us to be faithful to you, um, even when life is difficult, and trust you that you are in control. 
So we thank you that you died on the cross, and we take this and we eat. Christ's blood was poured out for you. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you, drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So Jesus knew that he was, his blood would be shed. That's what was required of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And he is the ultimate sacrifice. So maybe now you want to praise him and thank him for what he's done, that you know that you know of him, hopefully you know him as your Lord and Savior, that he's at work in your life, that he's carrying out his plan, that he's looking uh, for opportunities to use you to do great things, and that uh, you would praise him for that. And I'll come back up in a minute. When Jesus died on the cross for your sin, he knew that, um, if you look in the Bible about election and stuff, he, he knew that you would respond. He knew that you would come to Christ. He, he knew you. He cares for you. He loves you. And he says that, he will, that we will drink wine with him in his kingdom. Christ will drink wine with you in his kingdom. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Great celebrations, great days ahead, great opportunities, uh, great rewards for those that are faithful to serve Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have given us the opportunity to be saved, that you've given us the opportunity to choose to use our time and our resources to glorify you, to serve you, and to make a difference in the world. Lord, we thank you that you're patiently waiting for more people to be saved before you return. When you do return, you will make all things right, and we will be with you forever. So we take this and we drink. We praise the Lord. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're announcing the Lord's death. Until he comes, Jesus is coming back for you. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School, on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives. 